Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 28th, 2021, including Xbox has so many rumored games that we can talk about, Xbox revenues on the up and up, new information regarding the GTA of yesterday and tomorrow, and more. Another week, another dollar, episode 125 of Xbox On. We got a bunch of stuff to talk about. This is one of the weirder weeks we've ever had with this podcast because we have a chunky bit of news to get through, but oh my god. It's like someone said, I wish for a week where all the news related to Xbox was like all the things Jesse's like not into as far as gaming is concerned. And, And here we are. It's all about open world games and RPGs and what the fuck is happening here, right? Okay, nevertheless, it's always a fun time to talk about Xbox. It's always a fun time to read your comments, so I'm happy to be here on this uh, fine, well, goes up on Thursday, but for me, it's Wednesday night that I'm recording it, so fuck you, time travel, whatever, who cares? Before we jump into kind of some quick things going on, I need to tell you, for for like the seven of you out there that listen to the podcast through CastBox, this is an important announcement for like all six or seven of you. For some reason, when I first started Xbox On, the Xbox on podcast RSS feed would just push to every podcast service, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Sound, SoundCloud, all of them. It, the, the one feed would just send all the services you can think of, with the exception of CastBox. And the only reason I even caught this one was because I'm one of the five humans in the world that uses CastBox. So I made a separate feed for Xbox On through CastBox, and that's whatever. Recently, my podcast feed started going and automatically uploading to CastBox, finally, which it didn't do two years ago when I started the show. So why am I telling you this? Well, here's why. If you are, like I said, one of the six people or so who are actually fucking on CastBox listening to the show, you might see two feeds. If you search up Xbox on, you'll probably see the one that gets automatically pushed and the one that I manually have to upload each and every week. I'm finally aware of this, so I'm just here to let you know that's about to change. I'm going to sunset the the feed of CastBox for this show that I manually up, upload since the since the RSS feed is now being picked up automatically by this uh, this service. So if you are subscribed to Xbox on via CastBox and you stop seeing new episodes roll in every Thursday, no, I didn't stop uploading. I am no longer using my old feed. So how do you know if you're subscribed to the good feed or the bad feed? Well, if you keep getting the podcast, you're good. If you don't get any more, just search it back in CastBox. You'll see the other feed, which is the one I'm uploading to. So I'm going to make this reminder for two or three weeks in a row just to give everyone ample time to be aware that this is happening. But in the next couple of weeks, CastBox, we're going to go from... a two feeds a duplicate feed existing to just the one podcast feed just want to make that announcement i I see the statistics there's like literally like six or seven of you that this affects but listen everyone matters want to want to make sure everyone gets the opportunity to make the switch and if and if you know over the next few weeks you don't hear me make this announcement then are you even a real x-bot clearly you're not listening to the show so Thank you for that. Okay, with that out of the way, I don't want to, you know, I try to I try to keep the housekeeping to a minimum. I'm not here to plug anything. I got no ads for you guys. This is an Xbox podcast. God damn it, we're here to talk about Xbox. So, 
How about that new chicken chalupa supreme over at Taco Bell? No. A couple things I want to jump into. Some news stories this week that, you know, some some news stories that spark some knee jerks. Nothing we had to dive into too deeply, but definitely exciting enough to talk about up front, right? Halo Infinite got a campaign overview video just a few days ago, earlier in the week. Let's let's talk about this. People seem overall pretty hyped on this. It was Sunday, I think. Well, the, 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 the video went up Monday, I believe. And so like Sunday, Xbox and 343 and everyone were on the social media accounts being like, hey, look out for a Halo Infinite campaign overview. It's like, okay, fuck yeah. It's kind of a random time to drop this, but I'll take it. Monday morning, it dropped at an unusually early time. And so we got about like a seven minute video just seeing Halo Infinite in action, talking about the campaign. Uh, Jen Taylor, the voice of Cortana, uh, was the narrator of the trailer. It kind of shows you a, a whole bunch of what you can expect from the game's world, the play style, some of the characters involved. Very in-depth a lot to show, a lot to say, while also leaving, presumably, a lot behind the curtain for us to discover beginning December 8th when the game releases. I saw most people were overwhelmingly pleased with this uh, with this gameplay showcase, this campaign showcase. Um, it looks like, you know, with these really promising multiplayer previews we've had so far for Halo Infinite, people have gone from mixed on Halo Infinite to, oh, wow, it's surprisingly kind of fun, to, oh my god, Halo Infinite is going to be the shit. I cannot wait for this game. And with everyone just kind of coming into this information already super high on Halo, I think it kind of helped, you know, helped make things like a little easier, kind of helped lay things out well for Halo so that it had a positive response to its campaign. That and also last time we saw the campaign, things were looking so rough, quote unquote, to some people that it kind of had nowhere to go but up. But yes, they made a very intentional point to show a lot of things they showed last time just to be like, hey, look how good the graphics look look how good the lighting is and everything so the game looks very very pretty much prettier much more polished much more ready to go than what we saw back in the summer of 2020 so that was definitely a huge thing they pushed but dude we we saw a lot i think the biggest thing that stood out to me was this reveal of the harbinger which is a character they alluded to in the first campaign reveal and i listen this isn't halo lore i understand this is a general xbox podcast we don't get too nerdy about any one particular game unless it's called sonic unleashed so I'll, you know, we're not going to jump into like what this means and speculating about the story or anything, but I will say I was very surprised to see, you know, when they're, when they're in some of these forerunner constructs, when they're showing off the Harbinger, there's a lot of like 343, Halo 4, Halo 5 kind of aesthetics and vibes going on. And uh, the only reason I bring this up is because I'm on that minority team that's all like, you know, I love the Bungie Halo days. But I also really liked where 343 was taking things with Halo 4 and 5. I was not particularly upset with the direction Halo was headed in, the way things were changing. And so, you know, Halo Infinite, something I love about it and also kind of lament about it is how it's trying to have such a return to form with its art style and graphic style, just trying to be a little more the classic Halo you remember from the early aughts. Which is great. I love that about Halo Infinite. But at the same time, there's a part of me that was so emotionally attached to the Halo 343 had built, especially by the time you get to Halo 5, and I, I miss some of that aesthetic, and it looks like from some of the new stuff we saw in this trailer, there is some of that kind of sleek, techie, forerunner, Promethean-looking, futuristic, kind of 2012 to 2015-looking Halo, so to speak, which is, I think, refreshing in a game that overwhelmingly has a Halo Combat Evolve slash Halo 3 slash Halo Reach kind of look to it, so... 
I was really happy to see that. Um, I know that's kind of a smaller thing just because it's purely aesthetic. Who gives a shit? If the game's not fun to play, who cares what it looks like, right? But no, I think the game looks overwhelmingly fun to play. The thing is, we're about to experience a Halo campaign that is the biggest deviation from Halo we've ever experienced in a mainline entry title, right? Because this game has open world aspects. The trailer made a very clear point to talk about outposts, which were very Far Cry, very Ubisoft reminiscent, where, you know, you got to destroy this enemy outpost to open up more of the map and kind of take over, blah, blah, blah. And this, these will be missions that you play through in this game. We saw glimpses of boss battles where, like, bosses had, like, enemy health bars and stuff. So some very, very different concepts for Halo. And I just thought all that was pretty interesting. Nothing in this in this gameplay campaign overview particularly stood out as, like, oh, I don't like that. But there were some things that I was like, I'm just a little apprehensive about what that means for Halo's classic gameplay style. Because, you know, Halo has such a tried and true formula. You could you could argue, oh, but it's a little it's a little old school, it's a little tired. I would say it's like Mario. It's like one of those things where it's like it doesn't age at all, you know, it's like perfect. Like the kind of the thing that's aged about Halo is like visual fidelity, audio fidelity, things like you know, graphics. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff. Maybe controls a little bit in certain things. There's Those are the kinds of aspects of Halo's, Halo games that have, I, I would argue, controls for the most part haven't really aged. But those are the kinds of aspects you could argue for in terms of, like, Halo has it aged. But when it comes to, like, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay, Halo 2 is just as fun as any game that came out this year. You know, Halo 3 is just as fun to play as any game that you have played in the past 12 months or are looking forward to in the upcoming next 12 months. So there is a very, like, it's not broke, please, for the love of God, don't fix it kind of attitude with, like, headed into Halo Infinite. And the fact of the matter is they're clearly changing a lot of the gameplay. You know, obviously the moment-to-moment -moment gunplay should feel pretty familiar, but the way in which we approach that with how we get to levels and missions and with things being a little more open-ended and a little less funneled and linear and guided, you know, how is that going to mess with the formula of Halo with the kind of uh, addictive nature, the addictive quality of what, what this these campaigns have been so far? So that's something that... I've been thinking of, you know, ever since we first saw Halo Infinite in, in action, but especially so after this reveal where I'm like, you know, and 343 have made it clear this is not like Grand Theft Auto or The Witcher 3 type of open world. This is more like Gears 5 or, or, or Rise of the Tomb Raider kind of open world where it's like now you've reached this part of the story. So there's this open ended section of the map. It's pretty large, big to explore, and you can kind of approach certain things in different angles and from different aspects, although they're not necessarily, you know, like a choose what mission you want in any order kind of thing. So it's semi-open world with, with a lot of player choice and everything, but at the same time, it's still a rather relatively linear kind of experience. So I'm trying to keep that all in check, I guess. But I feel like that has to be said because it would be silly to just be like, oh, yeah, the game looks great. Can't wait. You know, I, I have to point out, we're seeing a very different side of Halo we've never seen before. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's definitely not necessarily a good thing. We just had to play the game to find out my gut check after seeing this this overview, after the Halo we have gotten to, uh, the Infinite we have gotten to play from all these multiplayer tests, I'm feeling very, very good about this game. I think it's very, very likely that Halo Infinite is, at the very least, regarded by most to be the best Halo game since Halo 3. 
And that is, that's big praise. And I'm pretty sure that's what we're looking at here. Now, whether or not it's the best Halo of all time, I, I doubt it's going to get that kind of praise. You know, whether or not it's widely regarded as better than Halo's 4 and 5, I think, judging by the way most people tend to treat those games, it's a pretty low bar, right? It's it's not going to be a hard thing for Infinite, Infinite to surpass. In fact, just with the way people reacted to the multiplayer so far, the multiplayer alone might bring it over that line for many people. For myself personally... I, I don't think this makes it automatically better than those games. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an interesting case when it comes to my perspective on Halo because my all-time favorite Halo game is Halo 3, and then my second Halo game is Halo, favorite Halo game is 5. And those are probably, like, the most diametrically opposed Halo games in the fucking mainline series. So I love all Halo, um, but I'm just, you know, I just, I'm curious to see for myself and for, like, the general public, you know, the, the, the conversation, so to speak, where this game falls in line because there's a lot of goodwill going into it right now as we get close to launch. There wasn't a lot of goodwill for it a year or two ago, and 343 has a lot to show. They're taking a franchise. They've historically done a great job with it from like an objective standpoint, but from a fan and critical standpoint, have done a mixed bag of a job on, and they're taking big liberties again with this franchise, trying to please classic fans and bring it have a return to form while also bringing it into the next generation and evolving in a lot of other ways that they haven't tampered with before. So there's just there's just so many elements, so many ingredients going into this. And I guess, you know, we've had this conversation before. This isn't a new idea, but this close to launch with this much of an in-depth look, you know, th- what we're seeing today is what we're getting, right? The game's finished. Right now they're in a polished bug kind of state. They're not in a add features and, and, and new gameplay and story elements kind of face. So what we're seeing here is what we're getting. And I guess now that we're so close to the real thing, it's all kind of coming to me. Like it's, it's hitting me. It's like, okay, how is this going to play out? And, uh, I don't know. I'm excited. I'll say that much. That's cause we haven't, we don't have the game. We can't judge the game right now. All we can do is look forward to it. And it feels really good to know that people are relatively high on this and that we're all excited. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm motherfucking hoping that this is not like Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm not talking about whether or not that movie was good or bad. I'm talking about how going into Star Wars The Last Jedi, everyone was like, okay, they didn't disappoint with The Force Awakens. I think they know what they're doing with Star Wars. And everyone was just really pumped about The Last Jedi. And then like it or hate it, the movie came out and everyone was immediately just like, fuck Star Wars, burn Disney, kill Kathleen Kennedy, and, you know, whatever. That that we can That's a different conversation. But what I'm talking about is just that moment leading up. And this is a nice moment because you got to understand, like, right now everyone's pretty high on Halo. Everyone's pretty pumped about it. This is nice. Think about the possibility where December 8th rolls around and this isn't 110% exactly what the nerdiest fucking most entitled little brat of a fanboy wants. And then all of a sudden, Reddit, YouTube, Twitter, everything is on fire, and the world's a mess, and 343 fucked up Halo, and there's no coming back, and this franchise is dead forever, and, and people are still mad at Kathleen Kennedy, even though she has nothing to do with this game. And that that's, you know, that just let's just enjoy we can't know how that plays out come December 8th. So now I'm making a proclamation or, or a declaration. Now between October 28, 2021, and d- through December 7th, 2021. Let's just enjoy this moment, this special moment in time where we don't know how Halo Infinite's going to be, but it sure feels good, right? So let's just just breathe that in for a minute, okay? All right, so that's the Halo Infinite reveal. and The other stuff we won't get as into, but, you know, we're not going to not talk a lot about Halo. It's, after all, it's a Taco Bell podcast. So next up, speaking of Halo Infinite, 
This is a quick one. As part of an update 343 was talking about this week, they did confirm, yes, ray tracing is still absolutely coming to Halo Infinite for Series X and S, or sorry, for Series X and PC, but it's not at launch. It's just in a future update. This is not technically news because 343 said this like a year ago, but it's been a long time since we've heard about it. So this is just them saying, yes, ray tracing still coming. Yes, it's not going to be there immediately at launch, but it is something that we have we plan on having some point soon after launch. Stay tuned. It's a future update. So for what that's worth, I don't give a shit. I just want to play Halo. I don't care if there's ray tracing or not. It'll be nice when it's there. Just let me fucking shoot some banish. Next up, BlizzCon. I want to talk about this real quick. So, you know, we've kept tabs kind of on this Blizzard Activision story as it's evolved. Um, God, it feels like we've been talking about it for a lifetime And so this week they announced that BlizzCon, which is their annual convention they hold every year, usually around Thanksgiving-ish or sometime like that. You know, they've held it like every year except last year, of course, because of COVID. But this year they've announced that they are changing it up. They're not doing an in-person BlizzCon, but rather they're going to do an online kind of alternative thing. And you might say, oh, well, that's because of COVID. And they might even use this as an excuse to be like, because of COVID. But guess what? This ain't because of COVID, okay? There are many, many conventions that have recommenced in person. Fucking New York Comic Con just happened. Don't give me that COVID bullshit. We all know why this is uh, an online affair this year and not happening in person. And that is most definitely because of the lawsuit and all the bad press and everything surrounding Blizzard right now. It would be a very, very bad idea to let the public uh, come in close to all these people, all these higher-ups at Blizzard in a time where they're all under fire for... Uh, workplace uh, harassment and things like that. So clearly we know what's going on here. I just thought that was funny that of course, you know, they can use the pandemic as this clever little, this little spin on why they're not doing it in person. But you know, I mean, we, many, many companies have used the pandemic for many excuses, but this is one of the more egregious ones. It's like, Hey, yeah, yeah, this has nothing to do with our, our, the claims of us, you know, of sexual harassment and, and of just workplace harassment in general at our, at our office. No, this has everything to do with, you know, an abundance of caution because of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. It's just beautiful, right? All right. And then one more quick one I want to jump into because this is just a, uh, wow, that's funny. Wow, that's cool, you know, kind of thing. Whatever. NVIDIA's GeForce Now service will soon be playable via Xbox consoles when this new update comes out. The latest GeForce Now client, which has already rolled out as of October 21st, includes beta support for Microsoft Edge browser. But Microsoft Edge browser is available on Xbox consoles. So technically, you could get on your Xbox console, launch the Edge browser, and stream PC games through GeForce Now to your Xbox using Edge on Microsoft or using Microsoft Edge on your Xbox. So the service, which NVIDIA claims can outperform the Xbox Series X in terms of power, uh, allows players to stream a selection of PC games with extremely low latency. However, Immediately when this was announced, everyone was like, hmm, that means you could hypothetically stream like PlayStation games that are on PC to your Xbox, like like Death Stranding or Days Gone or Horizon Zero Dawn or the upcoming God of War port to PC, which is coming out in, in January. And quickly, NVIDIA came out and was like, uh, it will be limited to certain games and you will not be able to just blanketly do it with everything. And they basically assured players, yeah, yeah, things like Death Stranding, nah, you, you ain't going to be able to stream that to your Xbox. So... Whatever it is, they Sony clearly didn't want this to, to be an option. Uh, they have done whatever the necessary back-end work is to make sure you cannot stream certain titles, such as these 
Sony first-party games on your Xbox One or, or Series X. But that being said, still an interesting... I mean, obviously, this is a cool feature with or without that that added ability. But, you know, it's just like... <laughs> of course, that's where everyone's head, head goes is, how can I play this, uh, this taboo PlayStation game on my Xbox? But... You silly bitch. Of course they thought. Of course they thought of that. You think you're just some goddamn genius who came up with this all on their own? No. All right. With all the fun stuff out of the way, guys, let's jump into our comments. Are very serious, not fun at all. Very stoic and uh, selection of comments from you, the listener. Remember, you go over to youtubecom podcast. You'll see the channel there. Drop a subscribe while you're there. Why don't you click on the latest episode of the podcast and you can leave your very own comment that will guarantee be read on the podcast. So long as it uh, makes some semblance of, of cohesion uh, well enough to be right on the air. So you could say anything you want. You can say something nice like, Jesse, I think Halo Infinite looks really great. I too am excited. Let's all be excited together and then hopefully have a great time come December 8th to play Halo Infinite uh, as, as one big community uh, that loves Halo. And I'll say, nice comment. Let's read that on the air. Or you can say something really stupid and mean. You can say, Jesse... Uh, the reason why Halo Infinite got delayed a year be- is because it's because I heard that Master Chief, uh, there was a glitch where Master Chief has has a tiny penis the whole time you play the game. And actually, 343 weren't able to squash the bug at all. They weren't able to fix this problem. And so now the game's going to come out in this broken state. It's going to get 4 out of 10s from every outlet because they're going to be like, wow, Master Chief has a small wiener in this game? I don't think so. 4 out of 10. And then anyone who likes this game is dumb and probably therefore by association also has a small wiener. And I'll say that's really weird comment. Don't know why you know that information, but here we are. We're reading it. You're insulting everyone, but that's just the way it goes. Okay. Our first comment comes from Andy Crawley. This is an example of a nice comment. It says, hey, Jesse, love your content. You've come a long way. I listen to your channel at work. Building minivans was never so much fun. Keep it coming, my Xbox friend. Well, Andy, that is a extremely kind comment. I really do appreciate those kind words, and, uh, you know, thank you. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're having a good week. I hope this episode is serving your ears well while you do your job, but don't listen to it too loud. You got to keep some some of your auditory ability available to listen to other things. You know, maybe someone is, uh, maybe someone's like, think fast, and they're throwing a buzzsaw your direction. Well, if you're listening to me talk about Xbox too loud, you might not hear that buzzsaw, and then boom, you're gone. So... Make sure you keep that volume at 70% or less. This ain't no punk rock concert. You don't need to have that shit at 100%. Not that you said you did. Okay, Unruled Grizz writes in and says, I just want WB Games, Sega, and maybe a few independent studios from Xbox, and then I'm good. Unru- Unruled Grizz, I gotta be honest, man. Love you. Respect you. Thank you for writing in. Could not disagree anymore. Now, we're all hypocrites in this, in this life, in this world, and I would be... Uh, I, I, I'm a hypocrite in that, you know, if Microsoft acquires Sega and brings them on board with Team Xbox, I'm not going to get mad. I'm, I'm going to turn a blind eye and say, you mean Sonic the Hedgehog and Master Chief are now brothers? Okay, I'll allow it. Okay, so yes, I'm a hypocrite. But generally, my stance still stays. Acquiring all these big teams is not good for the industry. It makes everyone lose a little bit more. It makes everything suck a little bit more. It makes creativity that much more vapid. It makes availability and accessibility, which is Microsoft's quote-unquote main focus, a lot less (laughs) available to many, many players. This is a generally terrible idea for them to just keep buying shit up, especially, especially big things. You know, when you say maybe a few independent studios, that one I'm a little bit more on board for because, you know, with that kind of opportunity, Microsoft can make a small independent team. They can fund them and make them. 
the bigger, more capable team they otherwise would not be able to be. And then they can go make new and creative things for Xbox. That'd be cool. But something like WB Games, there's nothing that Xbox's money could do to the current existing WB-owned studios that would make their games any different, any better for the industry. Do you get that? So, like, the upcoming, like, ju- like um, uh, Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League or uh, what's the other one called? Batman Arkham Knights or whatever it's called, right? These games, are, or, or Avalanche, they're making that Hogwarts, uh, what's it called? Hogwarts Legacy. These games are already AAA games that are well-funded, that have spent many years in development and are already going to be the games they are going to be, whether that is WB funding it or whether Xbox bought WB and now they're funding it. These games are going to be those games no matter what. The only difference is if Xbox buys it, now PlayStation gamers don't get to play these games and these games get to be exclusive on Xbox and we get to all have the arbitrary association of saying, wow, Batman really is an Xbox character, isn't he? It sucks. Because it's basically just a fake win for Xbox by saying, we have the games. It's like, yeah, because you bought them away from everyone. It's 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 not fun. You get that? It's not exciting. We were going to get that game the same way, the same game of the same quality, whether it was an Xbox exclusive or whether everyone got to play it. So why waste all this fucking money just taking away good shit from other people when you could, like, I don't know, Buy Sonic the Hedgehog and then make Sonic Unleashed uh, Platinum Edition exclusive to Xbox Series X. Fuck you. No, but all joking aside, when you could take that money and invest it in new studios, invest it in your pre-existing studios, invest it in new talent that can do new things for your console and build out an identity and build out a unique and fun ecosystem full of unique and new and interesting games that people can look at and go... You know why Xbox is cool? Not because they bought all the other fucking games I used to play on PS4, but because they make all these cool new games I didn't even know I wanted. Think about the Windows ecosystem. Why are Windows computers, and this is going to sound a little biased, yes, I'm a little bit of an Xbox, Microsoft fanboy, why are Windows computers infinitely more interesting than Macs? Is it because Mac is a bad product? No. Mac Mac computers are excellent. Mac OS is excellent. But why are Windows computers better? Because Windows is an operating system that any OEM can make a device running, right? So with Mac, great computers, great operating system, you have one fucking option. You get the Mac hardware with the Mac software. What flavor do you want? Thin laptop, really thin laptop, or thin desktop, all in one. What do you want? It's all the same shit. But on the on the PC space on the Windows PC space it's like here's a very flexible operating system that can be and do a lot of shit depending on what you want it to be and Alienware can make this version of it and HP can make this version of it and Dell can make this version of it and Microsoft can make this version of it and it's like oh this one is kind of a tablet but it has a weird kickstand it pulls down it has a pen and it flips around and this one is kind of just a classic form factor but it's really 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 powerful so it's great for things like video editing or gaming or whatever and so many things you can do because Windows is available to all and you can do all this shit. It wouldn't be cool if uh, Apple just came in and was like, um, we're going to buy... Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to buy HP, we're going to buy Dell, we're going to buy Lenovo, and we're just going to make them make the same computers we make, but they're going to run Mac OS, and then Microsoft can't have those partners, and Windows computers can't exist, and nothing's going to have a touchscreen, nothing's going to have a kickstand, nothing's going to be a two-in-one, nothing's going to be a powerful gaming PC. They're all just going to be the same computer, but with a different skin. 
And that's, I, I don't know, that's still not a perfect example, but you see what I'm trying to say? It's like the more we try and democratize these things and just keep it open and just keep it available to all, the more interesting stuff we'll get, the more, di- you know, we always talk about diversity, you know? This is an example of diversity. It's just keeping things independent, keeping things open so people can make and do their shit and make it accessible and available to more people. That is open, that is, I don't know, it's just, it's just, Good, you know, you get it. I don't know why I'm still talking about this. At this point, Unruled Grizz, you're entitled to your opinion. If that's something that would make you excited, I'm happy for you. You know, you hold on to the things you love. I'm sure most of the audience is like, oh my god, this guy's talking about the fucking don't buy all the game studios again. Oh my god, I'm gonna click on Major Nelson, and hopefully he'll talk about anything else. And Major Nelson's like, the new Taco Bell Double Stuffed Taco Supreme is my favorite game coming to Game Pass. And you'll be like, uh, unsubscribe to Jesse, double subscribe to, what's his name? Major Nelson. First name Major, middle name Nelson, last name Copyright, because Microsoft owns that bitch. All right, he's a good guy. I'm not trying to be mean. Josiah, my brother, wrote in. He says, I really don't think VR is the future of gaming. I think Xbox is correct to not focus too much on it. They'd be late to the incredibly niche party. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then EA's King responded to my brother and said, uh, augmented reality, question mark? Well, EA's King, I don't know. Well, first of all, that I don't I don't want to take you out of context, EA's King. I don't know exactly what you mean by this because there's, there's no, this isn't a sentence. It's just augmented reality, question mark. So I'm assuming what you mean by this is, well, Microsoft's involved in augmented reality. How's that not an incredibly niche thing that they're already a part of, blah, 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 blah. I'll just say real quick, remember, Yes, Microsoft is very involved in augmented reality. Yes, they made a weird mistake many moons ago by trying to introduce the public to HoloLens by associating it with Xbox, which it never ended up becoming that. But the thing is, HoloLens has actually been a very successful, very important device for Microsoft. And it's because it's basically, again, a democratized open platform where they've made an operating system and APIs and this whole tool set for other OEMs to go and make augmented reality hardware that's that that fit in and serve certain industries whether it be the medical industry or the construction industry or or or, um education market whatever it is so microsoft is very involved in augmented reality and they're kind of actually like they're kind of like the biggest player in augmented reality and they're doing really cool and great work but again I think the reason why they didn't go down the road of really making HoloLens an Xbox thing after all was because they probably thought about it pretty soon after they showed it and were like, this is going to be a kind of flash in the pan, Microsoft Xbox Connect Part 2 kind of thing that no one really asked for if we try to push it onto Minecraft and Halo. Why not just use this technology for what it's really good for? And PlayStation could do the same, right? They could say, why the fuck are we making PlayStation VR such a gaming-focused device when it doesn't have to be that? Why don't we make... PlayStation VR instead, Sony VR, and it can be a thing where you can buy tickets to go see the comedy con- comedy show or rock concert, put on your VR headset, and boom, you're there. It could be a way for you to interact with family around the world. Think FaceTime or Skype, but now it's even more intimate and personal because boom, you you're in California, your family's back home in Virginia. You put on those headset that headset, and oh my god, it's like I'm there in Grandma's kitchen. I can even smell her terrible cooking. Oh my god, so it's so connective it's so revolutionary there are so many things vr ha- is good for for mainstream purposes so many ways in it that it's good in 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 the in enterprise in the workforce and sony's just kind of leaving that all on the table by being like yeah it's a gaming toy and so i think microsoft is kind of the right they're doing the right thing here by being like how is this technology 
applicable for ways that actually shape the the world and help in you know rather than just serving as kind of a another gimmicky kind of accessory if you will to the games industry which has proven time and time again like yeah we we is cool connect is cool playstation moves cool playstation vr is cool these things are nice for a little bit but then it's like kind of just want to hold the controller and fucking shoot some noobs on call of duty like don't i really don't want to do the whole like shake and bake it thing so i don't know count skyla wait good to see you man you say you're going to save so many orphans but i would i won't be impressed until you bring back taco bell taquitos and the pizza hut insider pizza Count Skyla, unless you were someone who has last week's episode very fresh on your mind, that comment makes absolutely zero sense. And therefore, I love it because what you're showing here, what you're demonstrating is you know you know all about the Xbox on deep cuts, right? Now, you, you mentioned something here that I'm not even familiar with, um, which is the Pizza Hut Insider Pizza. Now, I know what the Taco Bell taquitos were. What the fuck is the Pizza Hut Insider Pizza? actually didn't know about pizza hut insider no that's an outlet crust with six types of cheese another thin layer of dough additional cheese toppings this was a special pizza they did at one point i don't know anything about this but i if you want to write in and, and enlighten us all more about the pizza hut insider pizza i would love to i would love to learn make an example out of me count skyla and we will come back to pizza hut in just a minute so put a pin in that mr miggy writes in says congrats on the surface duo 2 rip to your wallet though because i know it wasn't cheap also i'm still sad that the outro outro songs have not been shared with us mr miggy first of all i traded in some devices to get that duo too so thank you for the concern for my wallet but all is not lost uh second of all worth it the surface duo 2 is beautiful i love it to death it's everything the duo one should have been and i'm a happy camper this is the most i've not even not even like joking this isn't even like a honeymoon phase thing this is the most i've loved the phone since windows phone so worth it that being said I've, i've said in the past the outro songs played in the podcast, you know, if it's the lo-fi stuff, it's from my buddy Eric. You can follow him on YouTube at, at BB Murder Case or SoundCloud BB Murder Case. I haven't talked to Eric in over a year. I don't know how to get him to share that music any other way. I, I don't have free reign to just go taking people's audio files from their music and just throwing it around. You know, he worked hard on that music. I don't know if he maybe wants you to click on his SoundCloud or click on his YouTube, get that play count. So I don't, what I can do is, you know what, Mr. Miggy, I can link to his YouTube page in the description of this video. So if you're listening to the show on YouTube, look at the description. I will link you to BB Murder Case and you can listen to his music there. Other thing is, Count Scotula, who we were just reading from, is the guy responsible for all the awesome post-hardcore emo rock, whatever you want to call it, music that we've been uh, that we also get. Those are from his old band from back in the day, Corbel. And I don't know what to tell you about those things either. Those are songs that have been shared with me behind the scenes. I don't know if I'm supposed to just go. What do, you, what do you want me to do, Mr. Mickey? Just start sending you audio files? I don't I don't know how Count Scotula would want to handle that. So, Count Scotula, if you're listening, if you have a way in which you would like to share this music and make it accessible to people in the audience who are interested, let me know and we can make that happen. But I don't know. I just don't want to go taking other people's music without their consent and just throwing it around and things like that. Although, I can't imagine for the most part anyone cares that much about it. Whatever. It's not my decision to make is what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to be respectful of that, Mr. Maggie. Can you find in your heart to forgive me and then do me a favor while you're at it? While you're at it, forgiving me, go ahead and retweet my latest Twitch post because I want everyone to follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lightning extreme where we're live every Monday and Thursday at 8 p.m. until 10 p.m. Eastern time. We're playing games like 
Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War where they're doing Halloween events all week long because it is Halloween week. We're also playing games like Back for Blood, which is incredibly disappointing, but hey, it's a new game we got to play. And we're also playing games like whatever the fuck I'm feeling because when we just play Halo Master Chief Collection over and over and over again, I get fatigued and I don't want to feel that way about my favorite video game franchise of all time. Guys, plug over. Way of the Lau wrote in and says, bro, how you doing? Much love for you in the podcast. Thank you, Way of the Lau. Much love for you as well. Although your picture is anime, so... There's that. You say, I wanted to direct your attention to the new AMD 6900 XT Infinite Halo Edition, which will not be going on sale, but 343 and AMD will be allowing us to obtain by some means. Personally, I think that's bullshit, and it enrages me. Way of the Lao, I saw this. I'm aware of this. I have no opinion on this because I was like, what? I, I don't understand. Is this a sp- special AMD processor because it's just themed like Halo or because like it actually has specs and shit that are specific to this processor and you cannot buy it you have to win it or be selected or whatever the case may be because if it's like a performance thing that is kind of bullshit if it's just like a cosmetic like oh it's the Halo edition of this processor then it's like dude all they ever do is release Halo Xbox this and 20th anniversary controller that and mini fridge whatever. There's always enough cool limited time shit going around that. You know, if one thing is kind of stupid the way you have to obtain it or hard to get or just not your thing, let it go. Because the next week there'll be another big corporation trying to get you to get all excited about some other project product. So you, you get some of them, you don't get some of them, you win some, you lose some, that sort of thing. Way of the Lao. I hope you're feeling better about the situation now, but uh, sorry if it seems like I've just been dismissive about something that's genuinely making you angry. I'm just that much of a um, of a selfish asshole that I cannot empathize with you and just even begin to let you have that feeling of anger that you're experiencing. Headhunting Halo coming in with our penultimate comment this week and says, Hey, Jesse, I love listening to the podcast every Thursday. Makes my day, man. Thank you, Headhunting Halo. Very kind. I swear I'm not making up these comments, these compliments, these kind words. These people are actually writing these things in. Thank you, guys. I appreciate... Trust me. I, I, I have been telling my Xbox buddies about your channel, and I got a few more subs. Thank you, Headhunting Halo. Make sure you tell everyone. I don't know your st- the status of, of elders in your family, but if you got grandparents or aunts or uncles, tell them about Xbox on. Say, Jesse, they're not gamers. Well, I'm going to make them gamers. Headhunting Halo, that's my promise to them. Now, your promise to me is you're going to go tell Grandma and Grandpa about the number one Xbox podcast that's predominantly about fast food. Now, continuing on with your comment, you say, I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's just amazing. That big games like this and Odyssey are such huge, massive games with so much to do. Beautiful graphics. And yet still, out of the past four years, not one award at the Video Game Awards. Help me understand, Jesse, just like how to understand why the fudge you don't like to make your tea lazy Disneyland go-getter you. Also, if you want to be friends, my username's the same as my gamer tag. Send me an invite for Halo Infinite. Probably shouldn't have read that part on the air. Probably not relevant to the show. Jesse, go make your tea, you 17th century English man. I'll have you know, goddammit, my last name is Italian, which means I can make offensive comments about Italian people and get away with it, you fucking guido. Okay, focusing on the first part of your comment, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think this is plain and simple. I have, a, like, the Game Awards is a fun thing to watch every December, right? Because it's basically E3 Part 2 now. We get fun announcements. It's fun to follow along with. So that, right? But as far as the actual awarding of the games, who gives a shit? You know, and I'm talking about the Game Awards because that's the biggest example of this kind of thing happening. 
who gives a shit what a bunch of fucking panelists of people like a fart sniffers who work in the video games industry think about what the best game was, what the best score was, what the best persistent open world game was, what the best family game was. Spoiler, it goes to Nintendo every year. You know, like, who who gives a shit? We're just here because one time they announced Outer Worlds, one time they announced the fucking Xbox Series X, you know, one time they announced Perfect Dark. So that's why we tune in for these events and they know it. That's why they have the announcements is because they know no one gives a shit what the fucking guy at Kotaku who's on the panel of judges who vote for this bullshit think about the game of the year. No one gives a shit that of course in 2018 you thought God of War was the best game. Of course in 2017 you thought Breath of the Wild was the best game because you have no fucking taste. You are the vanilla human being when it comes to video games. Am I saying God of War is a bad game? Hell no. Am I saying Breath of the Wild is a bad game? It's overrated. It's fine. It's good. What I'm saying is these people just have these people are the basic bitches of the games industry and they have basic bitch opinions that shouldn't have any influence at all on how you think about video games, how you enjoy video games. You just need to be able to watch this stuff and be like, yeah, whatever, of course, right? It's exactly like the Oscars. It's like, why can't a movie like Ratatouille, my favorite movie of all time, win Best Picture? Why does it have to win the little consolation prize award of like Best Animated Feature? Uh, and I don't even know if it won it that year, but I assume it did in 2007. Because the Oscars are bullshit. It's just a bunch of fart sniffers in Hollywood who think they're more important than everyone else. And all you got to do is tell a story about like a guy that got his leg blow off in a war or like, and everyone's going to be like, tear jerker. Oh, this movie uh, was trying to be powerful and therefore is a great movie. And we got to give it movie of the year award. It's like, well, I'm sorry. I just thought open season two was a better movie. And that's just my opinion. So it doesn't matter. I think the important thing is as an enjoyer of this medium, as a consumer of video games, your job is to not give a shit what the, the critics think, not give a shit what these people think, and just move on with your life. Yes, nine times out of ten, <laughs> the games you appreciate are probably like had far more blood, sweat, and tears pour into it. There's probably a lot more, uh, many, many games that just don't get recognized that have so much artistic value and so much specialness going on behind them and are they ever gonna get the respect and recognition they deserve no they're not which is why i'm up here in front of this fucking microphone every wednesday night to tell you that sonic unleashed was a goddamn nine out of ten ign you hear me it was a nine out of ten you gave it a four you fucking hacks that's the point you want to make a difference you want to support these games go out and buy them go play them yourself Tell your friends about them. If IGN wants to give, guess what? What It's 2021. Okay, what came out this year? I'm calling it now. Uh, what came out? Fuck, it was kind of a, this has kind of been a dud year, right? Halo Infinite's not going to get it because it's Xbox. It could be Metroid. It could be Returnal. It could be, it could be. Game of the Year contenders are going to be, I'm, I'm just going to look through these months. So here's a GameSpot article with all the big game releases of the year, right? I think Ghost of Tsushima got some DLC, so that might be a candidate. Okay, here we go. Here's some big ones, major events. It Takes Two, Returnal, Resident Evil, Biohazard, maybe Psychonauts 2? Although I, I, that would just be like a, a, like a nomination just for, like pandering sake but then not actually get anything man it, it was i don't know it was a uh it was a pretty it was a pretty slim year in terms of like that kind of critical darling kind of shit so i don't know but yeah i'm gonna say probably resident evil returnal it takes two metroid dread these are the kinds of games you're gonna expect to see this year and then maybe psychonauts 2 and then you'll see a bunch of things like the best re-release um it'll be like uh, hades or it'll be like disco elysium or it'll be like uh, best game that came out last year that we still love anyway because it's on PlayStation. It'll be like 
goes to Tsushima. So I don't know. It it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we all know games like Assassin's Creed, even though I personally don't care for Assassin's Creed, there's no denying what a massive feat of a game that is. They t- there's literally thousands of people who work across many teams all over the world who make those games come together, and they are technical marvels by the time they release, and there's so much shit that goes into it, but you know, it's, it's Assassin's Creed. It's not, like a, it's not like trying to be a big game like, you know, like Last of Us Part Two, and therefore people just don't see that kind of merit in it, I feel like, so whatever. It's not, it's not a big deal. And then our final comment this week comes from Compassionate Choice LLC, who says, No more console talk, Jesse. Will you endow our ears the pleasure of what a Disney experience means to you? What is your ideal way to experience the parks? On behalf of all Disney plebes, we are going to need a comprehensive guide to navigate the magical kingdom without missing key elements. Thanks in advance, you Mountain Dew head. P.S. You had it coming with all that Disney pizza talk. Fire emoji. Well, Compassionate Choice LLC, I love this comment. This is so self-indulgent for me to talk about, but I don't want to get deep into this because simply put, I think a lot of the audience is like, no, please stop it with the Disney stuff. But I don't even know how specifically to answer this question. What the Disney experience means to you? What is your ideal way to experience the parks? I, I, I will say, if you're trying to visit the Disney parks, I think, and I will say this as when I was a kid, I only went to Disney World once. I came from a big family, so there was no possible way we could afford like a textbook Disney vacation. We stayed with my grandparents who lived in Tampa, and we went to to two of the four parks and we did half days at both parks because my dad did zero planning and had no idea what the hell you're supposed to do and so I experienced like a grand total of like 15% of what you should do when you go to Disney World for your first time when I went my first time it was the only time I ever went as a kid it was so life-changing life-altering this experience that I was like you know what this is my favorite place in the world and I spent the rest of my youth like The second I'm old enough to come back here, I have a car, I have disposable income, I have a job, whatever, I'm coming back here. I'm bringing my best friends or whoever the fuck I have in my life, and we're doing this all over again. And then when I got older, when I got to college, I was like, hey, I got a car. I got a job. If I pick up extra shifts, I can make a little money. And I just started going again. And I got to be honest, coming from the perspective of like, I did the budget cheap, don't know what the fuck I'm doing, did zero planning kind of experience. And then also coming from the whole like, I've been playing this trip out for many months in advance. I got the money saved up. I know exactly what I'm doing every second of it. I got to say, the best way to do Disney is to absolutely, if you can, stay at a Disney resort, try to do all the parks in your trip, and try to understand at least somewhat what the fuck you're getting yourself into. Know where to stay, where to go, what to do at each park, what things not to miss. Because there is so much going on at Disney, and there's way too much for you to ever experience it all in one trip. That's an obvious fact. But I think trying to have the what they used to call the Disney bubble experience, which is like you get to Disney World, you stay at one of their hotels, you park your car or you don't take a car or whatever it is, and you just let them take care of all the transportation, all the food, all the accommodations, and you just live in that little bubble. You eat, sleep, and and, and, and breathe that Disney bubble for, for a week or whatever it is. I think that is, if you can, if you have the financial means to do so, that is the premier way to experience Disney is to just... Because Disney is like, it's like, it's like a story driven video game where it's like, you want to sit down from the couch, turn the lights in the room down, maybe put on some headphones and immerse yourself in that experience. It's not like, it's not like when you're playing like, what's that card game that people like Hearthstone, right? That's a game that you can just play habitually and you can pop in, listen to a podcast, grind out a few matches, move on to the next thing. It's a game you can play casually. You don't want to do Disney like that. You want to be 
very involved, very encompassed, try to leave all of your life and your shit at the door when you go there and just exist in that bubble. Forget about video games, forget about your kids, forget about your job, forget about mowing your lawn or whatever the fuck it is you do with your day with your day to day and just exist in that little bubble. I think that's the premier way to do it. If you can stay on property, I highly highly recommend it. I don't uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> what does the Disney experience mean to me? I don't know. I went to Disney once as a kid. It changed my fucking life. I went again as an adult and I was like, yeah, this is the most special thing in the world. So, some people it just clicks. I'm one of those people where like I just went there and the whole thing just clicked to me. But I think a lot of it is just kind of not trying to do this thing of like, oh, Disney is a fun theme park. I'm going to pop in, ride the rides, see the fireworks, get the fuck out, grab dinner at Denny's, stay at the motel down the road, and then try to do all the other attractions like Universal and SeaWorld the next day and the next day. I think trying to just be like, hey, I'm doing this Disney thing. I'm surrendering myself to this Disney experience more or less. I think that's the way to really just kind of take it all in and find out how much you do or don't love what it has to offer. So that's all I can say. This is an Xbox podcast. I'm, <laughs> I would, I, I, I wish, trust me, I wish I had a second little Disney podcast, but feel free to DM me for any more specific questions. If you, if you actually have vacation planning tips or anything you, you would, you'd like to ask. Now guys, that's going to do for all of our comments this week. Remember for next week, don't, don't be shy please reply. Next, we're going to jump into what I've been playing, but before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about, told you we'd circle back to this, what I've been eating, Pizza Hut Detroit Pizza? Now, you say it with a question mark, because it's been recommended, who, who was it? Doomhammer, was it you? Someone wrote in on Twitter and was like, have you had the Pizza Hut Detroit Pizza yet? And I said, no. Now, friend of the show, Hunter, he has had this pizza, and he has told me it is very good. I've seen a handful of you on on Twitter at at one point or another over the past few months have this pizza and say, it is very good. And I have heard generally from, well, now from TikTok and from other places that, yes, this pizza is, in fact, very good. But as the Pizza Hut Twitter account made it a point to tell me in this conversation that it had no business being in, it is a limited time item and it is starting to go away at many locations. So I said, you know what? Fuck it. Let me finally try this thing before it's gone for good. And I told my girlfriend, hey, this weekend, let's make sure we find a time to try this pizza. So Sunday night, I'm like, oh, pizza time. And so we sit down to order this thing. And what do you know? Pizza Hut in our area is like, sorry, out of stock, no longer available. This limited time Pizza Hut Detroit style, saucy ass, cupped pepperoni masterpiece is no longer in your area. Fuck you. And... So what did we do? We ordered just a regular Pizza Hut pizza. No, we didn't. Cheese stuffed crust pizza, whatever. We didn't get the Detroit style pizza because they didn't have it, but we still got Pizza Hut. So here's what I'm saying. I don't know if this was good or not. I never got to have it. However, there are people in this audience that did get to have it. So what have I been eating? I've been eating regular plebeian Pizza Hut. What have you been eating? Well, apparently the the Detroit style pizza from Pizza Hut. So do I have anything to say on the matter? No, I didn't get to have it. But if you do... Write in. Let us know. How goddamn good was that Detroit-style pizza? Heard some reviews on TikTok saying, oh, it's definitely more of a Chicago-style, not a Detroit-style. Fuck off, TikTok. No one asked you. Now, that's it for what I've been eating, but what have I been playing, you might be asking yourself. Guys, I need to take a minute this week because, listen, I'm a hypocrite, and if there's only one thing I can be proud of with with all the many, many stupid things I, I say constantly, it's that I'm willing to take ownership for the dumb shit I say, and I'm willing to take it back. If I was wrong about something, if I was, you know, if I, if I misjudged something, if I wrote something off prematurely, I'm willing to be the guy who's like, Hey, I was wrong. And this is one of those moments where I got to admit I was wrong. I've been living a lie for the past 10 years of my life, 
constantly making fun of Elder Scrolls Skyrim. But a couple weeks ago, I got this really, really random itch to just play Skyrim. I'm like, hey, I got this PC capable of gaming games on this PC. I should try one of those nerdy ass fucking Elden Scrolls games. And so my brother's like, definitely want to play it on Xbox. Don't play it on PC. And I was like, shut up. And I played it on PC anyway. And I was like, huh. Yeah, you're right. We should play this on Xbox. So I restarted it on Xbox. And this past week, you know, I expected, I fully expected, like I would get through the first hour and be like, oh, it's okay. You know, I finally had the itch to give it a try. Oh, it's okay. It's fine. Probably not going to see it through to the end. I am hooked on Skyrim right now. Like I am all in on this stupid fucking game. I restarted on my Series X. I'm probably about four or five hours into the game, so not very far, but I'm playing it the same way I played Fallout 4, the same way I played The Outer Worlds, which is I don't give a shit about all the fun stuff you can do, all the side stuff. I just want to go from main mission to main mission to main mission, just plow through that main campaign. So that's all I've been doing is I'm going through the main quest line, and I really got to be honest, I'm probably enjoying Skyrim more than I've ever enjoyed any Bethesda game. And the reason why, at least to me, that's so shocking is because I've been tuned in to the Bethesda Game Studios kind of catalog um, ever since 2008 when Fallout 3 happened. I thought I was enamored by Fallout 3 when it first was announced, and I thought for sure that's going to be a game for me. I'm going to love that game. I have tried to play Fallout 3 so many goddamn times in my life and have never gotten further than two hours in because it just doesn't click with me. But my thing has always been... Oh, this like post-apocalyptic wasteland with like a lot of like this like Americana kind of like desolate destruction kind of thing. It's just it's so cool. It's such an interesting thematic choice. It's such it's so my thing. It's more sci-fi, but it's also post-apocalyptic. It's really fucking cool. That's the the Bethesda game I like. Not Skyrim, because I historically I hate the knights and the elves and the dragons and the ladies and the and the potions and the and, and the grim gremlins running around and snorting and and oh, I'm this little Dobbin elf and you have to put a sock in my textbook, otherwise I'll never be freed. I'm not into that kind of shit. I think it's very stupid. I've never been able to just like suspend my disbelief. Very, very few instances in this world where I'm like, oh, something medieval themed, I'm down pretty much the only one that comes to mind is like medieval times the restaurant that's about it so i've just always kind of written off elder scrolls it's like i don't want the little magical elves and knights fighting for princesses uh handkerchiefs or whatever the fuck it is they do like i don't care and here i am finally giving skyrim a fair shake after all these years of seemingly everyone in the world just applauding and praising and loving this game and me just not giving a shit about it and and they were right this is a very good game. Now, I gotta be honest, Skyrim's storytelling is it's weak. It, just like my experience playing Fallout 4. I got very far into Fallout 4, but never beat it. The story is like basic at best. It's not that cool. It's an interesting world, but it's not like an exciting story. It's not like, oh my god, I'm on the edge of my seat. The writing is so good. The character development is so good. I'm so interested in what's gonna happen next. It's like, okay. it's interesting enough that like I'm along for the ride, but I don't really give a shit. That's kind of the story of Skyrim and it's enough. The world is interesting enough. The gameplay is fun enough. I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things where like the stars have aligned and this is just hitting me. Right. But I'm very invested in all this. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying Skyrim the way I would normally enjoy a, a a far cry game. And the compliment there is that I, I, I quite enjoy far cry games. So 
is it is it groundbreaking? Is it the best game I've ever played? Is it like my one of my new favorites? Absolutely not. By no means is Skyrim like shooting up the list of like this is one of the great games of all time and I've been sleeping on it. No. But it's a very good game and it's a very fun game and I've definitely been missing out by never up until this point never giving it a try. And, you know, maybe it's just because now Skyrim is Team Xbox and I'm just a hardcore, diehard Xbox fanboy, but I just suddenly have a big appreciation for Skyrim. And it's so weird. Like, I, Skyrim was one of the big games. Like, in high school, I used to go to all the GameStop midnight release launch events with all my friends or my brother and his friends or whoever, you know? We'd go to all the big, you know, Modern Warfare 2, Black Ops, fucking Modern Warfare 3, um, Assassin's Creed this, um... Of course, Halo 4, all these big games, whenever they would come out, me and my friends, my brother, his friends, whatever, we'd all go to GameStop on a school night, stay out till midnight, waiting for that fucking game to come out, and I would go to all these events. I did all this, like, up through Destiny 1, I would go to these events regularly, and I, I always remember Skyrim was, like, 11, 11, 11, one of the biggest events I ever went to. I went to GameStop with my friends, my brother, so they could pick up their copies of Skyrim, and I specifically remember at that event, I was like playing Super Mario 3D Land on Nintendo 3DS, and I was like, y'all are a bunch of fucking nerds waiting for this dragons and elves shit. You know, it's just high school, so I'm just like, hanging out with friends? Of course, that's what I'm doing. So we're just there at GameStop waiting for this game, and I'll just never forget, like, the level of energy was very comparable to, like, when a new Halo game came out or something like that, and I was like, listen, I've been to these midnight launches. When it's Halo, when it's Black Ops, like, I'm fucking hyped. I'm there. I'm all for it. I'm like, give me that new Nazi zombies mode. Give me that new fucking Master Chief doing the thing where he, where he's awesome. I'm up for it. But Skyrim, I was like, why is there so much energy for this game that's a fucking nerdy orcs and, and elves and, and Ravenclaw and all that bullshit? And I got I got to be honest. It's like, here I am. I was there from the beginning with this game. Always writing it off, always shrugging it off, never giving a shit. 2021, 10 years later, I'm like, guys, have you heard about Skyrim? It's like I'm literally the very last person to the party. But man, better late than never. I'm glad I'm playing it. I'm very into Skyrim. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I know many of you are out there probably like, Jesse, I played Skyrim like 100 times uh, because they re-release it every six months. Yes, we know what Skyrim is. But listen, it's new for me. I'm excited about it. Just be happy for me. Even though I've been like verbally assaulting you all for a decade about how lame this game is without ever having ever played it. It's making me want to go back and play more Bethesda games. I'm thinking after this, maybe I'll go back and finish Fallout 4. I made it maybe 60 or 70% of the way through that game. I remember exactly what was happening because, again, it's not a very interesting or De- like deep story it's just like you're just trying to find your son or whatever the fuck it's like i i don't care the gameplay the moment to moment gameplay the world is what's you know fun to exist and play in so might go back to that i don't know maybe i'll give fallout 3 a try maybe that will magically feel good to me now even though it never did in the past i don't know but for now i'm just enjoying skyrim the other game i've been playing is back for blood i must say uh back for blood is just the opposite of Skyrim. This is a game, a game I've been highly anticipating. Cannot wait for it to come out. Ostensibly, it's just Left 4 Dead 3, one of my favorite franchises of all time. Cannot wait for Back for Blood. Since this game has come out, I have forced myself to play so much of it. I think we talked about this last week, so I'll keep it short and sweet. But, dude, Back for Blood is just 100% not resonating with me. I, I don't understand. It looks the part. The gunplay and everything feels right. But there's just something about this game with all the cards and the obtuse options and the difficulty spikes and the weird progression system and then just the lack of like 
openness and player choice to just play the game how and when you want and everything. With all this stupid specialized over the top, you didn't have to do that overdeveloped shit that this game has. It's just turning me off. I'm not into it. I'm trying to just push through and see all the content one time through just to say I've done it. But man, like, I got, even though it's Halloween week, it's a perfect time for Back for Blood. I just cannot find it in me to give a shit. Like, even on stream, I've defaulted to just playing the Black Ops Cold War Halloween shit right now, which is, to me, infinitely more fun than Back for Blood. It's just, I'm not, not having a good time with this game. I'm sorely disappointed by it. Seems like most people are having a different experience. Most people are really enjoying it. So I'm glad people are liking it. I'm glad the game seems to be doing well. I want to see Turtle Rock succeed and do well again. They've had a rough past generation or so. But yeah, Back for Blood, it is not the Left 4 Dead 3 I was hoping for. I'm glad a lot of other people are liking it. But I'll stick to Skyrim in the meantime because I guess that's just going to have to be my Halloween game after all. But those are the games I've been playing, guys. And with that all out of the way, let's jump into the news. All right, our first story. Not a terribly long news week, but just some uh, a lot of similar in tone, but uh, or similar in theme, but big stories. Anyway, first one: VGC News, our biggest uh, source these these days. We're gonna use them a lot this week. Reports that Xbox Game Studio is reportedly set set to publish a cloud native MMO aimed at consoles, PC, and mobile devices. The game is de- the game is the debut title from Finland-based studio Mainframe. Windows Central's Jez Corden first reported this on the Xbox Two podcast. A subsequent report from VentureBeat claims that Mainframe is looking into gameplay mechanics that would only work in a in a title that lives primarily on a remote server. The game will also reportedly feature mechanics that scale in terms of complexity, meaning players might find it convenient to craft a resource farm on their phone before engaging in a more complex, complex task like raids on their console or computer. Mainframe was formed by veteran developers Helsinki Rigjavik, according to the oh my god, I'm so sorry. According to the studio's website, we're creating quote, we're creating a cloud native MMO, a vibrant world with new ways to engage and connect with our friends. It's the game of a lifetime. In July, the Xbox Games Xbox Game Studios appointed Portal and Left 4 Dead designer Kim Swift as senior director of cloud gaming, reportedly with a view to helping bring a Hideo Kojima game to fruition. Kojima has previously expressed a desire to explore a new, a new format of game enabled by cloud platforms, and Microsoft is said to be in advanced talks about publishing a new game from the Metal Gear Solid creator. At the time of Swift's appointment, though, Xbox Game Studios publishing head Pete Weiss told Polygon that Microsoft planned to create cloud-native games accessible to players who don't own consoles or PC. We don't know exactly what that looks like today or what that even plays like, he said. Uh, Kim is going to build a team focused on new experiences in the cloud, some something that's going to support our mission and bring our Xbox games to connect 3 billion gamers to play our games. This is something I haven't thought about a lot and something we haven't talked about a lot on the show, but I'm going to talk about this specifically from the perspective of a layman, someone who has no inside knowledge, someone who hasn't heard conversations or anything about these kinds of situations before today, and it's just basically going off of where my mind takes me following reading this story fresh like this. I could be entirely misinterpreting what this is here, but I absolutely... So, okay. So every platform you play games has its strength and weakness, right? I think about a platform like Xbox. It's so great to sit on the couch 
and have a controller in my hand and play a game like Halo, play a game like Assassin's Creed, right? These are big, complex, 3D, open world, first person shooting, dynamic games that require focus and concentration and player input and immersion. And these are great experiences that are that are married perfectly with a controller sitting on a couch looking at a TV and interfacing in that way with complete undivided attention. Home consoles are not great for pick up and play bite sized little this and that because it's too much of an immersive finalized focus experience and setting that you don't want to like go through the show, oh, sit down, power on the TV, power on the console, load up the game, um, all for like a quick bite sized thing. That's where the mobile space goes, you know, gets really strong, right? I have this, the one mobile game I played, it's the Sonic fucking game where it's all just about collecting things, unlocking characters, and trying to get you to buy shit, right? Like every mobile game. But the thing that's great about this game is a play session takes me about five minutes at most. Three to five minutes to play, right? I check it every morning when I'm getting ready for work. I check it once when I get home from work and then once right before bed every day because I'm they're always doing special timed events where this special character skin is available and if you play enough and unlock enough of this, you can unlock the character for free and you don't have to buy anything and I'm always playing this game. This game is great for short bursts of entertainment. I don't want to play Halo on this because touch controls suck. I don't want to play something very big and experience, experiential and massive because it's a small screen. It's not a great immersive concept. It's not good controls. It's not the pro appropriate thing. It's nice to just, oh, okay, well, I'm at work right now. Pull this out. Pop it in. Three minutes. I'm done with my things for the day. Collect my coins. Boom, I'm out of the game. Done. That is the benefit of mobile. And then you think about the PC space. The PC space is where you can get absurdly technical with games. You want to take that immersion that you had on the couch with your console to the next level where you have like key binds and very complex things and you're adjusting and tweaking all the little things because you got a whole fucking fledged keyboard and mouse with ac with more precise, you know, more precision and all these special things. That's what's great about the PC space. PC is the worst place for the quick burst, bite-sized little in and out experiences. So all these things have their pros and cons. And when you think about the Xbox ecosystem, now that we've moved away from just the home console and we've moved to Xbox's console and PC day and date, and now, thanks to xCloud and all this, it is mobile. It's anywhere you are, everywhere you are, tablet, phone, PC, Xbox console, whatever. They have this unique advantage where we can start cross-pollinating these games in ways that allow you many, many ways to interact with a game, with a single game through multiple interfaces, right? Because as we've said many times before, Xbox is no longer the console, it's the subscription, Game Pass. So why you have a phone in your pocket? Of course you do, everyone does. You have a computer? Almost everyone does. Of course you have a laptop or a PC or something. And then if you're an Xbox gamer, chances are you got a fucking Xbox console. So with that trifecta, the, you know, the two pieces of hardware everyone just kind of has to have, and then the third piece of hardware that everyone just you know, that if you're an Xbox gamer, you probably have. You now have this trifecta of ways to experience games that if a game launches not to Xbox, but rather to Game Pass, you have this opportunity. Well, first of all, you can make really new experiences because you can leave all the computing power and all that shit in the cloud and therefore make types of experiences that limited hardware otherwise might not be able to pull off. But second of all, you can make really dynamic games that can kind of offer different ways to play based on which way you're playing them. But I think about it like this. Like, when I'm playing Xbox, Sonic is like Sonic Unleashed, Sonic Forces, Sonic Colors, whatever. It's, you know, the level-based, regular, classic Sonic game. When I'm on PC, 
it's also that. It's probably like some Steam emulation of like a classic Sonic game, whatever. I can plug a controller in, I can use mouse and keyboard, whatever. And then when I play Sonic on my phone, I'm probably playing some free-to-play mobile bullshit where it's just trying to get me to spend money and these, these little like temple run knockoffs where you swipe left and right and try to dodge obstacles, right? When you think about Halo, you can do Halo on your computer, you can do Halo on your couch, you can do Halo like the old Halo mobile games they used to have in the Windows Phone days, where it's these top-down twin-six shooters. Well, what if you had a game that was rather than one franchise with a mobile game, a PC game, a console game, it was one game that played differently depending on what platform you're at. I love this idea of like, I don't know, let, let me get like kind of stupid with it. Do you remember the game Star Fox Zero for the Nintendo Wii U? It's like basically the only game that ever came out on the Wii U that Nintendo hasn't already ported to the Switch. It was a classic Star Fox game, kind of like Star Fox 64, uh, but... It was a short game, so with it, they packaged in this second Star Fox game called Star Fox Guard, and it took advantage of the Wii U's tablet, and it was kind of like WarioWare slash iPhone, like little mini games and stuff, solving these little puzzles using the touchscreen and stuff like that, and completely unrelated to Star Fox Zero, but they came packaged together, and they offered two very different ways to play with the same console. One was a little quick burst minigame type experience on your console's tablet and the other one was a more traditional video game where you use the controller to interface with the TV screen and play that way. What if we had games that like married all those ideas into one game? So think about Halo where it's like oh well you're playing on your your couch you have the controller you're playing classic Halo you're going through missions whatever but then if you go on to your phone you get on the xCloud app and you're like on the train, whatever, killing some time. You pull out your phone, you open the xCloud app, you get into Halo Infinite. Now I can go into the, I don't know, the fucking Spartan training facility. And I can, like, do all these, like, oh, I can play, like, these trivia games, test my knowledge about Spartans for a chance to unlock special skins and rewards for this month's battle pass. Or maybe there's, like, a, um, a little, like, training game or something where it's, like, a little, like, iPhone-type on-the-go type experience where it's like you do, I don't know, whatever. But the rewards you get from this little bite-sized mobile adventure that are part of the main game can then give you rewards and benefits that you can then transfer over and use when you pick back up the proper full experience next time you're sitting at your Xbox playing the game or your PC playing the game. You know, so like like they like Jez says, like the article says, you know, like an MMORPG. Perfect. You can be grinding and trading and purchasing items and, and doing all these kinds of more leisure things from your phone, you know, when you're out and about. And then obviously that all saves your profile. So then when you get home, you can get back on your PC and you can have all your keybinds and be a fucking nerd and go raiding with your buddies and do all that shit. Or then maybe one day you just kind of want to go do some more simple side quests. So you just kind of lounge down on a lazy Sunday playing the same game, but now you're on your Xbox and you're just kind of like going through side quests and doing some more like one player focus, like low maintenance, but still somewhat like full scale kind of experiences. So this way the game, the same game adapts and scales and plays to whatever platform you're playing on. That was a very long winded way of kind of saying exactly what this article says. I get that, but I think this is a pretty like, you have a lot to prove kind of gimmicky approach to a game, but if you can successfully make a game like this, I think that's a very cool way to keep someone totally 
invested. There are very few franchises I would be willing to do this with, though. For me, I use Sonic and Halo as examples because those are franchises I absolutely adore outside just the games being fun. I genuinely love those characters and those worlds, and I would love alternate ways to be invested in them and to play in them, and that's why I use those as my examples. But again, it's like to make a game where that is the case, you really got to have a game that has enough appeal and allure to it that people want to spend that kind of time in it where when I'm playing on my PC I can play a game when I'm playing on my console I can play a game and then when I'm playing on my phone I can play that game the first game that comes to mind you know a game that would be a prime candidate for this well within the Xbox ecosystem whatever there's many options we can talk about but I think about Destiny actually like how cool would it be if there are ways you could interface with and play Destiny from your phone that help you with the loot grind so that next time you jump on your PC or your Xbox, your guardian, you know, has that progress carried over from whatever you were doing on your phone prior in the day. I love that idea. And so I think for an MMO in particular, this is a very smart genre to play around with this idea. That being said, I know nothing about this game. We've seen nothing about this game. We've heard nothing about this game. It's in any official capacity. This is a new team. This is not an Xbox-owned studio, at our, as far as we know, mainframe, uh, based out of Finland. So this could be a, a team Xbox is thinking about acquiring. Maybe it's say, let's make this game. Let's see how it does. Let's see what you can create. And if we feel like you're a good match afterwards, we'll acquire you. A very Sony approach to getting a new developer. But these are the kinds of instances where it's like Xbox acquired a new team, where I would like to see these things happen, because this is genuinely interesting. This is genuinely new. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know anything about this, but I'm really excited to see where this concept goes because I love new shit. I, I feel like there's a lot of negativity towards the word like gimmick. People are like, oh, I hate, that's a gimmick. That's, that's, that's dumb. I love the idea of someone trying something that would otherwise be seen as like gimmicky and just seeing, is it fun? Does it work? You know, like Quantum Break was a game that was very gimmicky with this whole like half TV, half video game thing. In my opinion... Quantum Break did accomplish what it set out to do very, very well. And Quantum Break is my favorite game from Remedy to this day. And I, I absolutely love it. And I don't look at that as like, what a cheap gimmicky thing that didn't work out. Like, nope, that game fully realized what it set out to do very, very well. And I fucking love it. And I would love to see more things like that, where it's not just like another open world third person game, another first person shooter, another whatever, you know, it's like, something new, something different, something unique. Whether it works, whether it doesn't, we'll find out. But this stuff is exciting. So I'm, I'm interested to keep a lookout for how this, uh, where, where, where we go from here. All right, keeping with all these game rumors and stuff, Jez Corden, he's our guy. He's got all the scoops. Next up, Windows Central reports that the Banner Saga is a trilogy of cult hit tactical RPGs with gorgeous animated art. And it launched back on the original Xbox One and PC. And Xbox One, like 2013 Xbox One, not like 2001. Uh, the developer behind those games, Stoic Studios, is building, exclusive, is building an exclusive game under Xbox Global Publishing. According to information I, Jez Corden, uh, not me, have received previously. To, earlier this week, Jeff Grubb added some pieces to the jigsaw on his Grub Snack show, giving a glimpse at another potential addition to the list of upcoming Xbox exclusives. As mentioned in a couple of weeks back from Jez Corden, a game codenamed Belfry, he discovered pertaining to an upcoming Xbox game on his Xbox Two podcast with YouTuber Randall Thor 19. Up until now, Jez wasn't exactly sure what the game was, just a vague reference towards Bell Towers. 
but he knew that Stoic was building a game with Xbox um, as well. But it wasn't until Jeff Grubb put the final pieces together on the sh- on his show that it all fit into place. Grubb also gave us a detailed look about the game and some snippets of what to expect. Project Belfry will sport similar painted art styles found in the Banner Saga, while sporting side-scrolling, brawling combat similar to the likes of PlayStation-exclusive Dragon's Crown. Grubb specifically linked the art style to the anime movie Princess Mononoke, which sounds like it could be quite a gorgeous indeed. The Belfry hinted at by the game's codename, will form some sort of base for crafting and upgrade as, upgrading as well. This is another title joining what seems to be a vast expansion of Xbox's global publishing footprint. Working with developers big and small to bring more titles to Game Pass, we've seen large studios jump on board, featuring Avalanche with Contraband, strong rumors about Project Dragon built out of Hitman's IO Interactive Studio, Belfry may be on a smaller side joining the action RPG uh, from Brass Line Entertainment, codename Shaolin, but given the quality of the Banner Saga, Project Belfry may well punch above its weight. So, another rumored game, this time from the team behind the Banner Saga, which is a game, beautiful art style, I've never had any interest in playing that. I've never heard, I don't think I've ever met anyone who played those games, but well regarded, I think well reviewed if I'm not mistaken. This is the kind of stuff we talk about with Game Pass, right? I don't have much to say about this game because this is not my kind of game. It, it, it seems more up my alley than the Banner Saga, but still not really my kind of thing we're gonna see more and more and more of this going forward with xbox because it's not about it's not about just more gears more forza more halo it is about a little of everything because they're not trying to sell you an xbox console only they're trying to sell you a game pass subscription so you have to have lots of genres lots of developers lots of variety to entice a very wide net of players to not only subscribe but then to stay with game pass because Frankly, bro shooters and racing games alone can't carry an entire subscription service. No one would be subscribed to Netflix if it were simply just, I don't know, what kind of shit does Netflix put out there? Uh, I almost said Orange is the New Black, but like that hasn't been popular in a while. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Just not all too much of the same thing. So to talk about this, I, I can't speak to the game itself, but what I can speak to is... This is going to be a reoccurring thing where we're going to see more and more games at a rapid clip. Some of them big like Halo, some of them middle of the road, some like uh, maybe something like like Contraband. Some some things a little smaller, like what this sounds to be like. This will certainly be something for someone, right? The Ascent. That was a game. It's like not going to be a huge game, but I was excited for it when it came out. Ended up never really playing it, but you know what I mean? This is one of those games where I think it's going to be of that caliber where Xbox is going to help fund it. It's going to get some eyes on it. It's going to be kind of Game Pass original content. Maybe if all goes great and this game is a great success and makes sense for them, Microsoft might try to acquire the studio. Who knows? But for now, this is just a way of saying, to get games on Game Pass, we don't need to buy every fucking studio that puts a game on our platform. Some studios we buy and it makes sense to have them recurringly make content for our platform. In some studios, we just work on on a project-by-project basis to help get more content into our service. And we're going to see this continue on and on and on we're going to see new games but of all sizes from all sorts of developers just so we can get more content in the game pass so you're going to have this this combination of your big tentpole xbox console exclusives from xbox first party teams and all of that and then you're going to see this uh lots and lots of second party relationships so that we can get content into game pass I think that's what this story in particular is very indicative of. Until we see it in action, you know, what more can we say? It's a completely completely new IP. It adds some variety to the lineup. 
Certainly there aren't any big side-scrolling, brawling combat games other than like the new Battletoads game, which was awesome that no one liked for some reason or no one played rather. But it adds variety to a, to, to a, a console and more importantly a service that just needs to appeal to more audience members, to, to a wider range of gamers. And seeing more and more of this stuff gear up rapidly is going to be kind of commonplace as, as we move forward into this new era of Xbox. And then not quite done yet with the rumors and the new games. Next up, Video Games Chronicle reports a new studio, Brass Line Entertainment, which we just alluded to in the last one, is currently developing an action RPG, which will feature music from the Wu-Tang Clan, according to insiders. This is a very weird one. The Xbox Two podcast with Jez Corden of Windows Central said that he heard back in July Microsoft is making a Wu-Tang game. He went on to clarify that this is initially wasn't clear if they were referring to Wu-Tang the martial arts style or the popular hip-hop collective group. Corden was later told that the game uses Wu-Tang Clan lore and that its soundtrack was created by Wu-Tang Clan, the group. Games Beat journalist Jeff Grubb also corroborated the claims, stating on a video show that he understood the information was correct. The game is said to be a third-person fantasy RPG that will be coupled with dozens of hours in length and feature seasonal content. Corden also revealed that the game is a melee combat focus and that it will support four-player co-op. Brass Lion Entertainment was founded in 2017 by Manver Hare and Bryna Dabby Smith and Rashad Reddick. Its first game, Corner Wolves, is said to be an action role-playing title set in the 1990s, set in 90s Harlem. This is the latest of several recent Microsoft-related leaks reported by Corden, who in October of, of this year claimed that Obsidian's upcoming game, Avowed, would be Skyrim meets Outer Worlds. This is the one I have the absolute least amount to say on, because this sounds like it's going to be like, how can we make some kind of action RPG game, but make it for a very specific audience. Wu-Tang, you think about the music group, very 90s. You think about the RPG genre, lots of 90s nostalgia for the SNES days, the Genesis, things like that, PS1. Maybe this is a way of kind of capitalizing on like, hey, 90s RPG gamers, typically maybe associated with a heritage on PlayStation or Nintendo. Here's kind of a game that might have, you know, an old genre style that you really that you really appreciate and admire and feel nostalgic for, while also using a musical influence and a a kind of um, cultural touchstone that is also indicative of that era that might heighten that nostalgia sense and leave you with an RPG that is you know all all nostalgia, all '90s, whatever. That's the kind of first thing I thought, but then. You know, they talk about seasonal content and stuff. It's like, okay, I can see a Wu-Tang RPG game making sense for the sake of, for the sake of like a fun, small scale, three to six hour kind of project. But for a game that evolves and has seasonal content is a couple dozen hours in length. That's where I'm like, okay, I literally, my, my imagination is too, is too small for me to comprehend what this could possibly be. And so again, it's, I'm sorry if this week's podcast is just me like, not having anything of any interest to say, but what do I, what is anyone supposed to make of this information? If you don't have insider knowledge, if you haven't seen this, what could you possibly assume or detract from, from this information being provided here? This is obviously, I mean, very, very reliable sources between Jez Corden and Jeff Grubb. So is this likely to be the case? Yeah. 
I just don't know what to make of it. Again, more interesting and diverse content to throw on the Game Pass. There's a lot of RPG content in the Xbox ecosystem these days. This is a very different approach to that content. So very smart if you're just trying to find, you know, how can we get classic RPG fans involved? How can we get, you know, a new market of RPG fans involved? How can we get lapsed players who used to play RPGs involved? How can we get, and that's that's kind of how I look at this, is like further diversifying. Now, RPG is a genre title that's like action at this point. It's like, what does that even mean? Everything's an RPG, you know? Everything from Final Fantasy to Far Cry to Zelda Breath of the Wild, these are all RPGs at this point. So it's like, okay, anything with some kind of progression system is like an RPG now. So take it with a grain of salt. I don't think they're saying this is going to be like Elder Scrolls RPG or that this is going to be like, you know, Star, Fantasy Star kind of RPG. I think they mean more of there's going to be a lot of like side content and player progression and things like that. But it's moment-to-moment gameplay is going to be very action-y, maybe a little more linear in nature, very story-driven. I just don't understand. I'm trying I'm trying to think here. How do you take a popular music act and turn it into... And, and I'll be honest, I'm not very familiar with Wu-Tang. I, I understand they have a, a big cultural following, but like maybe there's something I'm missing here. I'm trying to understand how you can turn a music group into a multi-dozen-hour RPG game for a specific console brand, right? It almost just sounds like those South Park games where it's like this is like kind of like a funny joke game, right? Wait, what? It has seasonal content? Wait, it's multiple dozens of hours? I don't know what to make of this kind of game. But we'll have to continue to keep an eye out for it because clearly Microsoft is willing to get creative and weird with some of the stuff they're doing. But this is this is something I, I said a long time ago about Game Pass. This is the beauty of Game Pass. Is it affords developers and publishers this opportunity to make weird games, to do weird shit, to do new shit. There's a reason why every Assassin's Creed, every Far Cry, every Call of Duty, for better or for worse, these games are good, right? There's a reason why these kinds of games keep being the same thing over and over again, why they keep all getting a little more open world, a little more RPG oriented, a little more like more hours to pump in and player progression and battle passes and unlocks and pre-order bonuses because the games industry has become so expensive, so expensive to develop a game. It's so hard to take a risk on these things because you need that return on investment that everyone's playing it safe and making the same shit. But when you have a subscription service it's pro- that's profitable and you can you just need new content to constantly throw into the rotation and players have no barrier to entry because they're already subscribed to the service so they don't have to pay anything additional to play these games, you have the freedom to get weird, to do weird shit, to try new things because now the player's going to be like, Wu-Tang the game, what the fuck is that? Well, I have Game Pass, it's here. Let's just download it and give it a try. What the fuck could that be? And that way you get more of an audience you get more eyes on this thing you get more people willing to try something different because it's just there waiting for them to hit the download button end the discussion so this is a shining example of that point in my opinion but we'll wait for more on that next up vgc reports that microsoft's gaming business has reported an increase in quarterly revenue driven by ongoing demand for xbox series x and s consoles This past Tuesday, the company published its results for the first fiscal quarter, ending in September 30th. In line with expectations, total gaming revenue was up 16% compared to the first quarter. Xbox hardware revenue increased 166% year-over-year, driven by demand for Series X and S, which had yet to launch during the comparable quarter last year. 
Microsoft and Xbox con uh, content services revenue was up 2% on a strong prior year comparable with Xbox and Game Pass subscriptions and first-party titles partially offset by the decline from third-party titles. That's impressive. We'll get back to that. Put a pin in that. During Microsoft's earnings call, Satya Nadella, CEO of the company, claimed the company's gaming division has saw record first quarter monetization and engagement. He added, this holiday season will be our biggest lineup for content exclusive games ever with three new AAA games, including Halo Infinite on Game Pass subscription services. He's also talking about Forza and others, which continue to offer the best value in gaming. Chief Financial Officer Amy Hood also provided an outlook on Microsoft's gaming business for the current quarter ending in December 31st. Saying, quote, in gaming on a high prior prior year comparable to, to that included the launch of our new consoles and the strength of Xbox content and services. We expect the revenue growth in the high single digits, she said during Tuesday's earnings call. In Xbox content and services, we also expect revenue growth in the mid-teens with strong engagement on the Xbox platforms in the holiday quarter that will include several AAA titles. Hood also said that she expects... Console sales will continue to be impacted by supply chain uncertainty, of course. And then as a reminder, we recently learned that Microsoft or Game Pass actually attracted fewer new subscribers in its previous quarter than were initially expected. Although that data was for um, that data was for fiscal quarter that ended on June 30th or fiscal year that ended in June 30th. So it doesn't take into account all the Game Pass content that's happened since with Marvel's Avengers and Halo Infinite and Forza Horizon and all these really big high-profile games that are going to surely undoubtedly boost the hell out of Game Pass uh, numbers, which we know uh, probably have already boosted quite a bit. Uh, Back for Blood, I mean, you think about that. Since June 30th, we've got Marvel's Avengers, Back for Blood, Forza Horizon 5, and Halo Infinite. Those four games are certainly going to boost subscriber counts on Game Pass substantially, so... They're probably way past where they were uh, over the summer now, just based on that alone. Now, I said put a pin in this because I wanted to get back to this. Microsoft said Xbox content services revenue was up 2% on a strong prior year comparable, with high growth in Xbox Game Pass subscriptions and first-party titles partially offset by the decline from third-party titles. They kind of talk about this in the story already, but this is the big kicker here. Last year, we remember revenue, subscriptions, Console sales, everything was through the fucking roof because everyone was working from home and no one could leave their house and COVID was bad and there was no vaccination and we didn't know what the fuck was going on. And so everyone hunkered down, bought a fucking Xbox or a Switch or a PlayStation, subscribed to their online, their respective online services and just played video games and spent money on video games and did that because they couldn't go out to the bar. They couldn't go out to the club. They couldn't go out to the Walt Disney World Resort here in Orlando, Florida. They couldn't do shit. They had to stay home and make their own fun. And that's where video games came in. And we saw a very, very strong year for gaming last year across the board. And on top of that, we got new consoles and everyone wanted a PS5 and everyone wanted a Series X. And everyone still wants these consoles. Everyone wanted a fucking Switch back then. And Switches are still sometimes hard to get. And the thing is, that's a tough act to follow because you look at this year and 2021 has been a big year for bouncing back. A lot of people are vaccinated. There's so much traffic all over the goddamn highway, which tells me one thing. People sure as hell aren't home anymore. So, yeah, things have largely bounced back and gone back to normal. People are out and about, and a lot of those people are probably no longer needing their Nintendo Switch or their Xbox One or whatever as much as they were needing it last year because now they can go back out to the club. They can go back out to uh, Five Guys and order a cheeseburger and sit there and say, I'm so glad I'm, I'm eating 1,200 calories right now in a single sandwich instead of going home to try out the latest games now available on Game Pass, which is you can try for as low as $1 for the first three months, blah, 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 blah. The world's gone back to normal, quote unquote, in the past year. 
On top of that, on top of that, 2021 has been a typical launch year for consoles. This is always the case in the first 12 months of a console. The games rollout is slow. Yes, Series X, very exciting. PS5, very exciting. Where are the games? Not a lot going on. Xbox Series X is a cool investment. It's a really cool console. You don't need one. If you have an Xbox One or an Xbox One X, you're good. You really don't need an Xbox Series X right this minute. The first games that are really going to make you go, ooh, wish I had that next-gen console, are going to be Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite, which, guess what, aren't even out yet. Yes, they're imminent, but they aren't even out yet, and this console's almost a full year old. So, this is really impressive that revenue is up like this, considering the fact that things have largely gone back to normal, people are back going out and about and not playing video games as much. These are really strong numbers, considering the fact that this has been a pretty lame year compared to last year. Not as many big third-party games. We just went through what games are Game of the Year material, right? What are the big contenders? Not a whole lot going on there. It's like Met- Metroid, Resident Evil, It Takes Two. Not many hype. We haven't had a Breath of the Wild. We haven't had a God of War 2018 yet. Really, the game of that caliber this year is Halo Infinite. And it comes out in the last, like, 20 days of the year. So, the point I'm trying to make here is that this success, this profit, this growth, this revenue is really, really good considering what this year has been. It's been a year of, I can't get my hands on a new Xbox. We're going back to the office. We're commuting again. We're going back out to the restaurants again. Nothing's happening on Xbox. There's no, like, what are the big games? What? MLB The Show, Back for Blood. What have been the big games this year? So this is just, again, I'll, I'll just wrap it up with this. Very impressive numbers considering what we're looking at. I cannot wait to see the next set of numbers at the next quarter. Because then we'll be talking about Game Pass considering a world where all these amazing AAA high-quality games have come out. Post-holiday season and all of that. So gaming gaming took a huge tick up after the pandemic, just in general. Because a lot of people you know, tried gaming for the first time or came back to the gaming for the first time in a long time. And a lot of those people stuck around. And now we're seeing heavy demand for these new consoles. And on top of all that, the cherry on that Sunday is finally the new games for the new consoles are starting to roll out. We're getting Halo. We're getting Forza. We're getting good shit. This is this is the moment of truth. And so this is if they can be doing that well right now in a time where things are kind of in a lull. Woof. Woof. Imagine where we're going to be if Halo Infinite is actually popular and well liked and well received. Let me try. Let me try one more time. Okay. Woo. All right, and then our final story is a double hitter all about the Grand Theft Auto. All right, so Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto Trilogy, the Definitive Edition remaster has finally been confirmed and has a launch date and everything. We're done talking about this. It will launch on November 11, 2021. Pre-orders are available now. It's 60 fucking dollars if you want the pack with all three games. The game is also set for physical release on platforms in December. We don't know much about that just yet. Rockstar has officially announced the release plans for the collection, which have been adapted to modern platforms by Grove Street Games using Unreal Engine. The games look surprisingly up quite a bit. They don't look like just up They look like textures and lightings and things have really been modernized. So very, very uh, big upgrade on these things. A lot more than what a lot of people were expecting. Uh, I know I was kind of surprised. It will be available digitally on November 11th at the Microsoft Store and Rockstar Games Launcher. Physical releases will be available December 7th, and Rockstar wants to let you know 
that the definitive edition includes a bunch of new control upgrades, improved movement, targeting, lock-on, and aiming, updated weapons and radio station wheels, updated mini-maps, enhanced navigation, allowing players to set waypoints, destruct uh, destinations, updated achievements, all that shit. And additionally, you're going to see enhancements like completely rebuilt lighting systems, improved shadows, weather, reflections, upgraded... Upgraded character models, vehicle models, along with new high-res textures across buildings, weapons, roads, interiors, and more. Basically, Grand Theft Auto is getting the infrastructure plan that the U.S. has sorely needed for many, many decades now. So, congrats to GTA. Um, It's looking great. This is nice. This is a nice, short little announcement to release window big upgrades here i'm excited to play this headhunting halo even wrote in says jesse i'm so impressed with the gta trilogy trailer i'm not i wasn't even expecting that much of a change i cannot wait for november 11th but once infinite gets here fuck that game lol headhunting halo i couldn't agree more which is why you gotta play digitally not physically because physically it releases a day before halo digitally you get a whole month so play it on november 11th Also really noteworthy, let me just read it straight from the article, additionally the remastered version of GTA San Andreas will come to Game Pass on November 11th, and the remastered version of GTA 3 will be made available on PlayStation Now for December 7th. So if you're on PlayStation, you get GTA 3, including your subscription. If you're on Xbox, you get San Andreas. Personally, as someone who barely played San Andreas, really loved Vice City, and liked 3 a fair bit, I feel like PlayStation is getting the better end of the deal, but that's just personal preference i think overall it seems like people really love san andreas so arguably xbox is getting the better deal but in addition to that before we talk about that i want to mention this in a new article that just posted before this web this uh podcast are recording dr dre is is producing music for a new grand theft auto game according to a long-term collaborator and fellow rapper snoop dogg in an interview with rolling stones snoop also said that he would be contributing to some music uh that dre is working on on the unannounced project he says quote I do know he's in the studio, Snoop Dogg said of Dre. I do know he's making great fucking music, and some of his music is connected to the GTA game that's coming out. So I think that there will be the way that will be the way his music will be released through the GTA video game. A representative for Grand Theft Auto maker Rockstar declined to comment on Snoop's claims when contacted by Rolling Stones. So here's the thing: a lot of outlets ran with this, like, "Hey, new information on GTA 6 because Dr. Dre is working on music for the game." I took that as it's pretty possible that this is music for GTA Remaster Collection because we'll think about it for a second. Dr. Dre, I guess, kind of fits into like the GTA 3 and San Andreas era in terms of like time period. Not so much Vice City, of course, because, okay, I'm a fucking idiot. He first started getting big in the mid 80s. So actually, that makes it even that makes it that makes it even more possible that this is the collection because you got Vice City, which takes place in the 80s. GTA 3, which I think takes place in like around the time it came out, like the early aughts, and San Andreas, which came out. I think GTA 3 and San Andreas are both like time periodic, time period wise, like around the time that games came out, like so early aughts, right? So, man, Dr. Dre was active for all that time. So it's very possible he's in these games. Why am I, why am I speculating this? Well, here's why. GTA 3. San Andreas and Vice City all have large collections of licensed music. So I don't, I'm not all that convinced that when you play these remastered games, you're going to get the same songs that were in these games back on the PS2 and Xbox OG. I'm not convinced of that because this is the same reason why 
like these Tony Hawk games and shit lose licensing and why Guitar Hero games lose licensing and things like that. It's because you only have the licenses to these these songs for so long. There's no way they still have the fucking license to Iran by Flock of Seagulls after, you know, fucking when, when did uh when did Vice City come out in 2002 or 2003? Like there's no way they still have that license. So they either had to pay a lot of money to renew all these songs or it's possible they got new songs you know, some are renewed, some are new, and maybe they have new content from someone like Dr. Dre. Or maybe he's literally scoring some of the game. Maybe he's not making new songs for, like, the radio stations, but rather, like, actually scoring some of the music in the game. I don't know, but you got to assume that they had to run into some music licensing issues for this remaster because they're not just simply porting a game, they're remastering a game. And so they can't just... It, it wasn't just a one-and-done deal for these songs. So that's why I think there's a possibility some of this has to do with this trilogy. Now, could it be that he's working on music for Grand Theft Auto 6? Absolutely. Of course it could be. But I just can't help but but think about how it kind of fits in perfectly with all three of these games, considering his his years active as a musician, the time frame in which these games take place, the fact that there's probably music licensing hiccups with with the license holders of all the songs used across all three of these games, which have very robust music lineups. So I don't know. So with that one out of the way, I, I do want to just go back to the trilogy itself for a second and focus on this. Two things. One, I think you can buy them all a cart because obviously if you're just getting San Andreas for free through Game Pass and three on PlayStation Now, then you must be able to buy them all a cart. And if that's the case, good for me because I'm just going to get Vice City and Call of Day and I'll get San Andreas for free for including my Game Pass subscription. But the only one of these I'm really eager to get back to anyway is Vice City. So that would work because what it'd be like 20 bucks a pop because I don't want to spend 60 bucks on this. So that's the other thing. But the bigger thing here is there is a little bit of controversy here, which is that Rockstar took down without warning the ability to buy because some of these games were backwards compatible. Some of them were on PlayStation Classics or the iOS and Android app stores. And Rockstar just took them all down without warning. And now if you want to play a game like Grand Theft Auto 3, you have two options. Boot up a PS2 or buy this remaster collection. And yeah, the remaster collection is probably going to be the version you want to play. It's probably going to be the superior version, but it doesn't preserve the original version of that game. Now that game is forever locked on an archaic piece of hardware that's not an internet, bring your account forward type experience like, you know, like Xbox 360 and onward. We're good because backwards compatibility and Xbox Live accounts and everything, all my save files, all my games and everything, regardless of what generation, are all saved to the latest Xbox I'm using. We don't have that with like PS2 games, NES games, SNES games. These are the generations we really have to... Xbox is kind of the best at video game preservation because all their consoles use the same controller and all their games are brought forward through backwards compatibility and are tied to your account. So they really do a good job of preserving games in that way. But not so much with PlayStation and Nintendo, especially Nintendo, where it's like, you know, it's like, how does someone go about playing Grand Theft Auto 3 now? Like, if they want to play the OG and see what was this game supposed to be like when it originally announced? How do we preserve that experience in that game? You can't. You got to buy this archaic console. It's harder and harder to find. It maybe doesn't work all the time. You have to find an old physical copy of this game that's going to be harder and harder to get your hands on. Otherwise, you only have this new, touched up, modernized 2021 edition of this classic game. And that is a whole thing about video game preservation, how this has just increasingly become more and more of an issue. It's seemingly for Nintendo more and more and PlayStation more and more, where I'm not trying to like cuck on Xbox, but like if you play an Xbox or on the PC space, 
you're kind of set with preservation because your all your games are tied to your Xbox Live account, backwards compatible. It's not 100% perfect on Xbox. There's definitely room for improvement. Plenty of games I wish were backwards compatible that are not. But this is, I'm looking at you, Sonic 06. But th- this is, that's a step in the right direction. And this is a step backwards. And I see a lot of people complaining about this. I think it's a very valid complaint. And it's definitely a concern we need to be aware of going forward because we don't want to see this continue and become a trend in the games industry. We want to see games get preserved and for there to be options to experience these original classics and the way they were originally presented to the world because guess what there isn't some asshole who comes up every 20 50, 20 or years or 50 years and say the mona lisa is getting a little old guys uh, hang on give me give me a week i'm gonna get this new color palette that's really popular right now i'm gonna i'm gonna touch up the mona lisa i'm gonna give it a little a 2021 tlc okay i want to put i'm gonna put a meme in the corner here, I'm going to use a Snapchat filter on the Mona Lisa. I'm maybe going to give her some dog ears and a dog tongue, like a Snapchat filter. I think they'll look very tasteful. It'll be a great way to modernize and make the Mona Lisa accessible for the modern audience. You don't do that. You don't do it with old literature. You don't do it with old TV or movies. And sometimes they fuck with it a little bit. You know, there's a difference between taking a classic movie and making it available for the first time in 4K. That's different. They don't take old movies and go, oh, well, for the for the first time, we're going to do Citizen Kane in color. And we actually added some CG elements uh, to just kind of enhance some of the stuff going on in this world. Yeah, everyone has a CGI mustache and an Apple Watch on their left wrist because we're just trying to make this... This, this, this story, this classic story, a little more accessible for the 2021 audience. Don't, don't do that. Video games do that. And I get why it's because these games become archaic and hard to play and just cumbersome because the way these are, this is an interactive medium. The way you interact with games changes the conventions, the way the modern gamer expects a game to handle and feel when you pick up the controller and interact with that game. We, we get it, but we shouldn't have to lose the classic classic experience in getting an updated version. I get, they don't want to confuse the market by being like, what do you mean? I look up Grand Theft Auto 3 and there's like an old version, a new version, which one am I supposed to download? They don't want you downloading the old version instead of the new version. That's a mistake. That's a whole nightmare thing. But these things can be fixed with SEO, with naming conventions, with advertising. These things don't, you don't need to remove the old and erase the past in an effort to boost sales of the new version of the old thing. It's just not beneficial for all and it is a cumbersome thing to deal with and it is a worrisome thing that is happening and uh just just want to kind of bring some attention to that that's gonna do for all of our news guys let's jump real quick into the important enough news stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warn their own discussions of which we have a handful first one here is online services for a number of halo games have been discontinued will be discontinued on january of 2022 343 announced originally this was supposed to happen uh i think it got pushed back a little bit originally it was supposed to happen in december but now the shutdown date has been pushed to january 13th the games affected are halo 3 odst halo 4 combat evolved anniversary spartan assault and halo wars these are all 360 only so all these games are fine through master chief collection and other means of playing them but it is the Xbox 360 versions, just to be clear. Next, Among Us is coming to Xbox One Series X and S and game and on Game Pass on December 14th. Who cares? We'll have Halo by then. Next, Xbox and Seagate have announced two new storage expansion cards coming to Xbox Series X and S. The current $220 one terabyte card will soon be joined by a new 512 gigabyte card for 140 bucks, so a little less than a little more than half the price of the other one. And now they're introducing a new two terabyte card, so double the storage of the original one 
for a little less than double the price. So 400 bucks for that two terabyte card. Very, very expensive shit, but more options are good. The 512 gigabyte card will launch in the US in mid-November, while the two terabyte card will follow in December. Info on pricing in other regions has yet to be announced as of yet. Next up, October 2021 system update for Xbox consoles are rolling out now. The main feature in the latest update is that um, is the ability to render the dashboard in 4K on Series X consoles. Prior, it's just been a 1080p upscale to 4K uh, dashboard, but now it is a native 4K dashboard, so that's a huge thing. There's also a new like night eye mode thing. Next up, VGC reports that CD Projekt Red have acquired American studio Molasses Flood, the Boston-based developer best known for roguelike The Flame and the Floods, and cooperative village-building game Drake Hollow. According to CD Projekt, the Molasses Flood will be working close in cooperation with CD Projekt Red on its own ambitious projects, which is based on CD Projekt's existing IP, which suggests it might be some kind of spinoff in the Witcher or Cyberpunk universes. Next, Windows Central reports that in June of 2020, Microsoft officially closed down Mixer, of course, their own in-house streaming platform. However, well over a year later, Microsoft is now testing Twitch live streaming with select Xbox Insider, providing a build-in method for Xbox gamers to stream without a game capture card or separate app. Only available to insiders at at this moment... Uh, players will now be able to sign in via Twitch accounts and and seamlessly stream the best Xbox games on this streaming platform. You can test out the feature now by going to live streaming option under the capture and share button on the guide, uh, which will be pretty familiar to anyone who's used Mixer in the past. It's kind of like that, but now it's Twitch. So sad. The feature only streams gameplay footage and will not suspend the Xbox UI uh, and not display the UI or other elements of the OS on Twitch, which is kind of a bummer in my opinion, but whatever. Next up, Doom Eternal. Uh, id Software has unveiled that a new arcade horde-style mode has been launched. is available now as update 6.66. Ha, ha, ha. The game director, Hugo Martin, discussed an update played through the first mission of the mode during a live stream, saying that it's the biggest free update yet. Uh, also includes Battle Mode 2.0 and two new master levels. Battle Mode, which she's fully armored Doom Slayer, taking on two-player-controlled demons and round-based battles, has been refreshed with an introduction of a new arena in streak-based rewards and then next up square enix just announced starfield sorry star ocean the divine force for xbox one x and s and pc developed in collaboration with triace and set for release next year in 2022 the latest title in the 25 year old rpg series was revealed during sony live stream today on wednesday uh, the PlayStation blog announced it by saying, quote, the game features a story that blends sci-fi and fantasy, a rich lineup of characters and side stories in a battle system, delivering exhilarating combat with easy controls and more. Originally launched back in 1996, the Star Ocean series has seen five mainline games, one spinoff title, and one mobile game to date. Star Ocean was last seen on the Xbox in, tw- in 2009 with Star Ocean, the last hope for Xbox 360. Next up, images of a Warner Bros. Smash Super Smash Bros. type game, multiverse game, have appeared to have leaked online, featuring characters like Batman and Looney Tunes or some shit like that. They're doing their Nickelodeon Smash Bros. game. God help us. Actually, that was it. That, yeah, that, that's the news. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's going to do for everything here. We do have some new games releasing. I don't want to get into that too much because somehow this podcast ended up going on a, lot, a while. But some notable games there. Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is now out, optimized on Series X and S. Definitely worth checking out. People seem to be really liking it. Surprisingly, it's getting great reviews. That makes me pretty happy. Death Park 2 is out now. A little indie game if you want to try something good for the Halloween season. Age of Empires 4, an Xbox first-party game. This is a big one. 
It's on Game Pass for PC. It's a PC-only game. I know most of this audience probably doesn't give a shit. I know I don't really care for it at all, but it is a notable PC, Xbox Game Studios game. Riders Republic is also out this week. Um, so, you know, another Xbox Series X and X enhanced game. Ubisoft, it's, it's, at least it's not another Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. I don't know. Whatever. But uh, I was kind of hoping we'd get our Games of Gold by now. Let me actually check and see if we got our November announcement for Games of Gold because that should have been announced this week or at least today. No, Games of Gold for November has still not been announced yet, so it'll probably be announced the day this podcast goes live, so be on the lookout for that. But as a final reminder for October, guys, we got Arrow available for the rest of the month. We've got Hover available until November 15th, and we've got... Resident Evil Code Veronica available until the 31st. So make sure you download those if you haven't already. Guys, that's going to do it for our podcast. This is the week of Halloween, so I do just want to say a very special happy Halloween to all you guys. Hope you're out there having a great time. It's my favorite holiday, so I hope you're uh, enjoying it as well, having, you know, doing something fun, maybe going to a haunted house, maybe handing out some candy to the trick-or-treaters, maybe just dressing up, going to a party with friends, or maybe just staying in, ordering the pizza, and watching some spooky movies or something festive and, and holiday-themed. That would be also a pretty fitting way to celebrate this really awesome holiday um, that I know many of us all love so much. So happy Halloween, you guys. Uh, follow me on Twitter for updates and on the stream and the podcast and for other shenanigans at Jesse DeRosa. Subscribe to the podcast, please, if you can do so. Leave a review on iTunes. I'd really, really appreciate it. And uh, follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lightning extreme. Until next week, guys, thank you so much and power your dreams. Mm-hmm.